Welcome to Crop It Like It's Hot, sponsored by Yara, the crop nutrition company, and brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and the Crop Tech Show. I'm Alice Dyer, your host, and before I start, I've got some good news. If you're a member of the Basis CPD Register, you can now receive one CPD point for tuning into this podcast, which I'll tell you how to do at the end. Today's episode is going to be all about grain marketing. This season has been extremely challenging for much of the UK's arable farmers. Subsequently, wheat area is much lower than normal and the UK is set to be at import parity. Barley area is high and cost of production is also likely to be higher. We're also facing a period of uncertainty, what with coronavirus upsetting markets. We've still got Brexit and the Ag Bill. So really getting your grain marketing right this season really is going to be very important. Today's guests are going to give us an overview of what's going on in the UK and beyond, as well as some really good tips on how to get the best from your grain once it's been through the combine. We've got some really good marketing advice and also things you should be doing now to prepare for harvest. But first up, we've got James Webster, who is a senior analyst at AHDB Cereals and Oilseeds. Hi James. Today we're going to talk a bit about what's going on with UK markets at the moment and what the current crop in the ground is likely to mean going forward. Um, The 2019 autumn drilling campaign is probably one that a lot of growers will want to forget and where I am in Warwickshire we saw fields still sat as stubble well into the spring and some still are now. I know it's been... Yeah, it's... um, it's been quite variable depending on region. But how is the UK looking now in terms of cereal acreage in the ground as far as AHDB is concerned? So it's a difficult one to gauge. Um, our most recent estimates were sort of back in February. Um, and at that point, we were talking about a wheat crop that was looking around uh, one and a half million hectares. I think in reality, at that time, there's still about 300,000 hectares, less than that slightly, still to be planted. Um, a mix of that was winter and spring. I think probably some of that winter won't have gone in the ground, and, and we will have also seen um, some losses, so it, it's not going to be that high. Um, and even at that figure, you know, it's looking 17% down year on year. Um, it's not going to be that high. I don't think we've, you know, there's not still not a, a complete picture. Um, I think situation we're in now with regard to, to coronavirus has made it very difficult for people to get boots on the ground and get a complete picture yeah. but um, certainly from uh, our perspective it's something that, that we continue to monitor um, we, we've done a number of scenarios that look at differences in, in area and in yield um, and I think you know the market has seemed to have found it, its view probably more on a crop production figure than on an area figure okay. Um and that seems to, to be at around sort of a max of probably 10 million tonnes. There's obviously a huge variation in views depending on who you speak to. Um, so that's from a, from a wheat perspective. Um, and from a barley perspective, obviously we're expecting a, a big pickup in, in spring barley. Although, as you said, there's still some fields that are sitting in stubble, which people may intend to put into, or may have intended to put into spring barley. So there could be some losses there as well. Um, we, we are currently in the process of getting sort of a, a more complete picture. Uh, we've got the plant and variety survey that we run goes out every July. So that's probably our next point of, of clarity um, or point of complete clarity. So um, certainly something to, to keep out 
keep an eye out for. Okay. Um, you know, if, if thinking about it from, from my view, um, you know, uh, I think we'll be back a little bit from, from that figure we put out in February, although at this point wouldn't have a, a complete view of, of what that acreage would be. Yeah, and then, of course, after all that rain we had over winter, now we're suffering from a drought. I think it's meant to be the driest May since 1896 or something. Um, so, generally speaking, for those crops that were planted, how are they looking at the moment and what impact might this dry spell have on yields and also meeting grain quality requirements? Yeah, so that's a really important question at the moment. and I think that's one of the reasons we maybe don't have the um, clarity on the, the area. It's because the quality or the... Um, you know, the condition of the crop at the moment is so variable. Um, so we run a, a crop condition report. The latest one of those um, has recently gone out and we're looking at some significant changes in terms of year-on-year condition of the crop. So if we take winter wheat as an example, we're looking at, you know, a, a crop that's uh, 26% of it is rated as, as very poor to poor. If we look at what that means, kind of those definitions mean, very poor means there's an extreme degree of loss to yield potential and poor would be a heavy degree of loss to yield potential. There's also the potential of yield loss within the, the group that we've, you know, we've called FAIR, this free UK level. Obviously, there's a lot of regional variation. And that section, 43% of the crop. So you're talking about just uh, 31% of the crop that's looking good or excellent. You compare that to this point last year or you know, that, that May window last year, 83% of the crop was looking good to excellent from a winter wheat perspective. There's obviously a really stark difference there and, and yields will obviously be affected. Um, there's similar pictures, you know, across the board in the other crops, really. So OSR has obviously been a huge challenge for growers this year. Um, and subsequently, the, the impacts on, on the crop from both the, the wet sowing, then flea beetle damage, and then and then the dryness we've seen in the last couple of months have, have really impacted that crop. Um, spring barley is probably one that's faring um, the better out of uh, all of the, the crops that we're looking at, but still, you know, it's it's far from far from perfect. The, the volume in terms of looking at those ratings of poor to very poor at a UK level is, is uh, 13%. Again, that's up quite a bit on last year when it was just 3%. Um, but I think that there is a larger proportion there which would be in that good to excellent rating. Um, so obviously we're going to see some some lower yields um, and in some cases some significantly lower yields and that in itself prevents a challenge. Um, in terms of quality, it's hard you know it's hard to, to predict that at this stage and a, a lot will depend on what happens to the crop between now and harvest. Um, from a milling wheat perspective, some of the people I've spoken to recently have, have highlighted sort of an expectation of smaller grains. So we could see, um, a, you know, an increase in the, the grain protein content um, if it's more concentrated. But that still doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a good milling crop. Um, it's all about where that protein is within the crop uh, and also how, you know, there's so many factors in there that, that are going to vary the quality. Okay, there's some quite worrying figures in there then. And on top of all the agronomic issues that you've um, just mentioned this season, 
coronavirus has caused havoc with the markets, particularly in terms of malting barley demand and the fact that pubs and restaurants are shut and um, people aren't using as much biodiesel and things like that for oil seeds. So bearing in mind we're almost at harvest now, so we've got quite a good idea of supply. We don't really know what demand is going to be like. So where is all this barley we forecast likely to find a home and has AHDB done much work to calculate demand disruption due to coronavirus? Yeah, so we've we've done quite a bit recently actually looking at, at the level of demand destruction um, for, for the old crop um, primarily, although you know we've looked slightly ahead into some of the new crop in some of that recent work as well. Um, and we've also recently published our or the latest um, balance sheet for the, the UK supply and demand estimates. And as you say, from both a, a barley perspective, but also a wheat perspective, um, there's looking like there's going to be some pretty significant stocks carried through next year. Of course, we don't necessarily know how big the, the barley crop is going to be. And if we continue to have dry weather, then that crop could get smaller. But even still, um, with losses to, to malting barley, the, the recent supply and demand estimates, um, human and industrial consumption of, of barley this season it's down, you know, the, the best part of 100,000 tons on, um, or it's 117,000 tons on where we have, we estimated in uh, February in mm. the latest May estimates. So obviously that adds into the stock picture uh, when you're looking at potential carry out of, of 2.2 million tons. Then exports are probably going to be a really important one next year. Um, self brings brings new challenges. Barley's obviously going to have to try and maintain a discount to find its way into either feed homes competing against imported maize or also into export homes. Traditionally, our export homes would obviously be quite heavily centred on European demand. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty at the moment still surrounding Brexit and where we are uh, in relation to that. So we could find ourselves at a point in January where we face a tariff on exporting um, barley into the EU. So that's something we've got to consider. And as a result, third country markets, the, the likes of North Africa and places like that could become important in the second half of next year. I think we'll also see, the, well, there, there is the potential to see a, a front loading of exports next year um, in a similar way to, to what we did before, what we saw before the, the previous deadline we had in the, in the current season. Um, we saw a big ramp up in exports before that and then a bit of a drop off post um Post, post sort of Brexit decision point, if you like. Okay. And then for all these things that you've just spoken about, for both barley and wheat, I guess, what is this likely to do for prices? So, yeah, I mean, if we start with the, the barley picture, um, as I've just mentioned, it, it's got to remain competitive if we do have a, a big crop, which it's at present looking like we could, although, like I said, the weather conditions between now and harvest will obviously be pretty crucial to how that shapes up. Yeah. Combined with the, the slightly bigger stock picture, obviously barley is going to be under pressure, and we, we've seen that already throughout the course of the season. So it's likely that we could see a bit of pressure in that price. Although if that, that crop gets tighter, then the, the need for it to maintain the heavy discount that it is to wheat at the moment could reduce. But at the moment, if we expect a big barley crop, um, which quite a lot of people do, you know, we could see pressure for the barley price going forward. From a, a wheat perspective, obviously, competition um, from maize is, is going to be important, um, important factor. 
particularly into to feed, and that could reduce the demand picture slightly for wheat. The UK market is very much going to be held at the import parity. From UK wheat price perspective, we're going to be held at that international import parity. So next season, prices of wheat in the Black Sea, um, prices of wheat in Germany and the Baltic regions are going to be very important to UK price formation. Uh, and they're going to be areas that, that do need to be watched closely. Even if we produced a, a dramatically smaller crop than we're currently estimating. So even if, you know, very extreme the crop was to go down to, to 7 billion tonnes, we'd still be held at import parity. So that import parity is, is going to be really important to, to keep an eye on next season for, for UK pricing. Yeah, and of course it's understandable to think that... Um what with there being such a low wheat area in the UK this season that prices will go up but as you said that's not going to be the case thank you James all right right, and next up we've got Peter Collier he's an analyst at CRM agri-commodities and he's going to give us a bit of a global picture hi Peter I'm good thanks how are you So today we're going to be talking about what's going on in the world at the moment in terms of grain markets and as we heard from James in the UK we're set for a smaller than usual harvest Um, but globally are world wheat stocks going up or down next season and what might that mean for farmers in the UK? Sure. Well, the dry situation doesn't look to be over yet, and say every additional day we have further reducing potential size of harvest, not just in the UK, but also across the EU. Um, unfortunately, from about UK in isolation, it doesn't really mean that domestic prices can rise significantly higher than European prices. Once we're already at this import parity level, where we can import wheat at the same price, we can't buy as much above that. But on a global scale, world wheat stocks on paper look plentiful. Although the picture is tightening, um, USDA in the last forecast went with a rather large 310 million ton ending stocks for world, but this is looking increasingly optimistic and will indeed need um, trimming and some down positions. We've had reductions in Black Sea outlooks from April due to uh, rather dry conditions, and these are just curb production outlooks for Russia and also Ukraine as well. There's quite wide and varying predictions at the moment, especially for Ukraine, anywhere between sort of 23.3 million tonne crop up to a rather optimistic 28. And again, Russia has ranges, but I think on the whole, we're going to be lower than what the USDA are forecasting. Okay. Especially all the way across the um, EU as well, we've seen rather large yield reductions across France and most of Northern Europe. So I think really we're going to see quite large reductions on paper moving forward to this um, global end-season stocks of wheat. And it'll just get gradually tighter, I think, because all these things are completely factored in. So overall, I mean, we can probably remove a fair bit from production outlook for 2021, and therefore we'll also have a tightening as well of this global ending stocks. But that's not to say prices can rise significantly. We've got a lot of maize in the world. The US is set to have a record harvest, and also there's concerns about consumption as well. You know, we've just come off the back of a pandemic, or at least during pandemic, we're starting to get, be allowed out and increase our travel, but I don't think that really means we'll see a huge uptick in consumption. So it'll be an economic shock, people won't be travelling as much, people won't be purchasing as much. So I think we're going to see these demand curbs as well. So although we've got yield cuts, we've got production cuts to wheat, I think we've got to be slightly mindful of the fact we're also going to have consumption cuts as well. And as of the 1st of January next year, 2021, um, the Brexit transition period will finally be over. 
And while we don't really know, well, we hope, (laughs) while we don't really know the ins and outs of it, what is that likely to do to grain prices first if we do agree a trade deal with the EU and also if we don't? Sure, it all seems rather deja vu-like, doesn't it, really? (laughs) I think we've been in this position before, looking at a potential end of these Brexit transition periods happening over sort of December, January. There's a lot of uncertainty, as we say, and uncertainty isn't particularly great for prices. If we look at barley, we're going to have a large surplus again this year, fingers crossed. We actually have some decent spring barley yields, even though we're looking outside, it's still very hot and very sunny. So it's going to be a few of that expectation for a large crop, but we're still likely to have a very substantial exportable surplus. And our biggest export market has traditionally been Spain. If we do exit the EU without a deal and face tariffs, this will become economically unviable to export to within the EU if we hit the full tariff wall. So this hard Brexit would require alternative markets such as North Africa, and this brings with it increased freight costs and also some tighter moisture spec concerns as well. I know we're going to come on to it in a bit, but also there's a few concerns as well at the moment about the implications of what's going to happen with Australia and China and a global trade picture. Think about it from wheat point of view, Wheat at the moment and next year, we're looking at a deficit. So in terms of market access, it's not as important this year, but certainly longer term, there's still potential rather large risks to the exportable ability for UK for wheat into the EU. But it's a bit of a catch-22. If we do get a good comprehensive deal, the pound has been under quite a lot of pressure recently, and there is the potential to have quite a bit of support for the pound. And the higher the pound rises relative to the euro, the lower our domestic prices are relative to European markets. So there's a catch-22 at the moment where a good comprehensive deal would see a gain of the pound and possibly pressure domestic prices. But on the flip side, if we do leave the European Union without a deal, we're going to see market access become a real factor. You just mentioned North Africa there. Um, but where do you think our next potential markets might lie post-Brexit? Is it Indonesia is set to be the world's biggest importer of wheat going forward, overtaking Egypt? Sure. Um, if we look at where post-potential Brexit markets lie, really we've got to look at the current situation now. And we all look at this on a pure economic rationale. We can't alter the UK's location in the world, so freight will continue to dictate a large amount of this. We aren't going to suddenly move the UK's location. There's still going to be economic um, barriers due to location and freight which are going to alter the cost of UK grains, likely. So previous markets, mainly for barley, essentially it's been Saudi and Tunisia and Morocco. And this will likely continue post-Brexit with added pressure of fact that we could even lose European market access as well. In terms of wheat, yes, Indonesia, but again, it's competing against some as large nations such as Russia and Ukraine are a Black Sea market and it's a much further distance to travel as well so it wouldn't be a particularly bullish view for UK grain prices. Bearing in mind that China has just banned Australian barley imports is that likely to have a positive or negative impact on UK barley markets bearing in mind we've got this much greater barley area here this year? Well I mean global Economic um, and political tension is never particularly positive for great markets and commodity markets in general. Uh, the current situation with Australia and China, if these trade barriers are long-lasting, 
where we are likely to see more Australian barley go into these North African markets. Australia's biggest market is China for their barley, and this will need to be exported somewhere, likely into North African markets, which will just compete even more with our own UK exportable surplus of barley moving forwards, especially if, we, like I said, we can't access European markets. There will likely be a bit of a shift in what China purchases. It probably purchase more Black Sea barley. But at the moment, with corn prices being so low, the likelihood is there will likely be a bit more import of corn, certainly into China, to offset some of this barley situation. Uh, so it's from topic of trade. Our implications at the moment, we have to still look at US-China. It's been rumbling on for quite a while now. However, the focus has now shifted to the situation in Hong Kong, as we know, and this will again put a bit of a sort of bearish negative tone to soybean markets and the Aussie market in general as well. Okay. And this is a, a fairly general question, but in light of everything that's happening in world markets at the moment, do you think in the UK people are likely to be selling their grain at harvest this year or probably hanging on to it for a bit longer? I think if we look at individual farm basis and we can see the yields for wheat especially are going to be down and there's concerns at the moment about spring prospects as well, on a farm basis there's likely to be less grain per farm. So storage ability is going to be slightly eased. Certainly last year we had grain flowing out of the stores, so there's more pressure to sell. This year with less grain per farm, the ability to store will be easier. So if you've got the ability to store and you're not a pressured seller, then you'd be more likely to store it and not sell at harvest. So I think the answer to the question is we're going to see less grain sales at harvest, firstly due to reduced production, but also an ease and ability to farms to store grain at harvest as well, should they be able to do so. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. That's okay, no problem. I'm Natalie Wood, you're a country arable agronomist, and I'm here to remind you about fertiliser quality characteristics. The three main things you need in a good quality fertiliser are a high strength score, meaning it can be spread over larger bout widths, uniformity of size and shape of the particles for even spreading and therefore even crops, and finally, bulk density. Think ping pong ball versus golf ball. The heavier, denser particles will spread further and be less affected by wind. Yorabella Axan has all these qualities and more. Visit our website yorra.co.uk for more information. Next up, we've got Rupert Summerscales here. He is a senior market analyst at ODA and he's going to offer some really handy tips on what you should be doing this season in terms of grain marketing and what you should be looking out for. Hi Rupert, how are you? I'm very well, Alice. Thank you very much for inviting me. Good. Now, we've heard from James and Peter about all the things going on in the world that will be having an impact on grain markets and prices. And you're now going to talk to us about the best way to approach grain marketing this season on the back of all that. But firstly, why is marketing so important? Uh, well, because it has it is has the biggest impact on uh, the financial health or well-being of a, of a farm. Essentially, uh, we're in a landlocked country, and uh, the farmers have no choice about expansion of area. Uh, they can't do anything really about yields to a large degree. In fact, if you look at the last twenty years of yields in the UK, they've gone nowhere pretty much. They are the odd exceptions, as we're going to find out in two thousand and twenty. But uh, so basically. Your yields aren't going anywhere. You can't do a lot about your uh, the acreage that you sow, give or take. Uh, and so uh, we have to look at the other com- 
component that is uh, um, uh, um, important for the profitability of your farm, and that's the yield, uh, the price. Now, prices have moved uh, within a hundred pounds a ton uh, in in a few years, in a, in a few a few year a few period years. Uh, if you look at two thousand and ten, uh, when Russia closed its export window, um, the market went up a hundred dollars in the space of three days. So, uh, from a financial point of view, the marketing component is very underestimated and very under un, misunderstood. In fact, there was a, a there was a, a, a the university did a, a study on this, and they worked out that if you if a farm were actually spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and half a Thursday doing marketing, and half a Thursday and Friday doing the farming bit, digging up stuff, planting corn, whatever, they'd be more profitable. So it's uh, it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, a very important uh, component, and it's it's uh, uh, a very difficult one, and it's not one that farmers typically enjoy doing. Yeah, I guess that's the thing with being a farmer. You have so many different roles. You're a weatherman or a woman, a soil scientist, a chemist, a salesperson. Yeah, and I think one of the things that one of the things that sticks out if you if you're in our own business, my own business, and that is that you know if you take the average farmer. Uh, he's probably known his accountant for 30 years, he's known his bank manager for 30 years, he'll know his agronomist for many years, and yet there are not many of the farmers actually have somebody to help them with, with what is the most important component, and that's the marketing. Why would that be? Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. So what key three things should farmers be on the lookout for in terms of new crop prices? Well, there's quite a lot going on right now. Clearly, we're a few weeks away from harvesting in uh, in the northern hemisphere. Although, although uh, in uh, Texas they've already started the Harvey winter wheat crop. I imagine uh, James has mentioned that uh, we're really looking, trying to ascertain what the uh, the production level of the grain in uh, in the northern hemisphere. This will set the tone, if you like, for the rest of the season. Uh, the other component. That is well, maybe not for a farmer to worry about, but uh, essentially one of the big questions we're all facing is how much demand destruction has been because of the COVID-19 uh, virus. Uh, we simply don't have the data on a global basis yet to to work that out. But ultimately, I guess the, the big thing we're looking at right now is is how much how big are the crops, especially in Europe and Russia. So that would be one thing. I think policy is an interesting one because we, uh, we're aware now that Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan are all likely to impose some type of export controls next season. That has a big impact or could have a big impact, especially into the North African market, into Egypt in particular, and how that, uh, how that pans out. And as yet, it's an unknown because until they have their own uh, production, um, until they know what their production is, that's... Uh, that will determine what their export quotas are. So, so a bit of policy in there. That's a, a big variable that's an unknown at the minute, but we do know that they're likely to, to impose one. We just don't know what volume it is. Another thing, sterling is going to be huge, we suspect. Uh, the volatility, we've got the Brexit negotiations, uh, the fourth round starts today, on Tuesday. Uh, so as we go towards the end, we can pretty much imagine that it'll go down to the wire. So we've got six months more of uh, highly volatile sterling. Well, you know, one of the one of the key uh, references that we look at in terms of markets and prices for new crop is we look at the November life contract uh, compared that to the Matif December contract. This gives us an idea of how competitive we are. Were we to be an exporter, well, we are for barley, 
but as an importing nation, obviously we're going to have to be priced high enough to encourage that wheat to come into the country, and there could be a substantial amount of it. So we're looking at that spread between uh, the price spread between Life and Matif. That's quite an important one for us. It should be positive for the rest of the season, we suspect. Okay. And that was four, sorry, Alice. That's okay. <laughs> one for luck. Um, and with that in mind and so much going on in the world, how can farmers gauge when the best time to sell is? When the best time? Uh, well, you know, some of this is related really um, to how actually a farmer's attitude towards risk is. Is he one that's, uh, is he a speculative, a speculator type? Is he willing to, to take the risk or is he completely conservative with a small C and not willing to? Um other, another consideration you have to have to bear in mind, obviously, everyone's got a different financial situation and circumstance. You know, Mr. Mr. Billionaire with uh, who owns everything, vast amounts of land, he might have a very different attitude towards marketing grain than a guy who's uh, who's uh, struggling and on the edge. So, a couple of couple of um, circumstances there that that really need to be uh, assessed. But I mean, you know, how how on earth is a farmer expected to to not only understand, but to maintain an understanding, a day-by-day understanding of all the intricacies of global grain markets. I mean, the supply and demand component in itself, which is huge. Uh, This time of year, we're looking at crop condition ratings and things like this. So, you know, a farmer is, uh, he he could get absolutely swamped. And I go back to the same thing at the beginning, you know, why wouldn't he take advice? Um, You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a colossal area and one that's fraught with um, danger if you get it wrong, financial danger if you get it wrong. So we have to, we have to, we have to say, look, you need to have, you need help with this. You can't do it on your own. Uh, some, some years, you, if you do it on your own, you may do very well. But consistency and continuity of of, uh, of profits are much better than highly volatile, speculative ups and downs yeah. uh, in terms of profit margins. So to get good quality information. And uh, I would throw in here, of course, that uh, get independent information. There's no point getting all your information from the people that are buying your grain. Every day is a good day to sell grain, according to the the buyers. So take the quality information, take advice from people who specialise in this area, and adopt a strategy uh, according to your profile, risk profile, attitude towards risk, and your financial circumstances. And as you've mentioned, there are huge unknowns in this game. So Brexit, trade wars, currency, the list goes on. Mm. How how else can growers even start to manage some of that risk? Well, again, I, I would say, actually, take advice. Um, first and foremost, though, when, when, we, when we talk with clients about uh, how to manage risk and getting forming a strategy, you always start at the top, and that is, Understand your cost of production. It's really important. That gives you an idea uh, um, about the financial viability. We can look at forward prices so we know what they are. And we know if we know what your cost of production is, albeit very difficult in the, in the, in the forthcoming season, we don't know what yields are going to be doing at the minute. But, uh, um, uh, but understanding where you sit in terms of uh, if you sold it all today, are you going to be profitable or are you going to make a loss? That's the first thing. Take advice, don't be greedy, uh, have a strategy, um, consider forward selling uh, if it's appropriate. Um, futures futures um, 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 account-
account holding, that's a really good idea. I mean, futures markets were originally designed for, for, for essentially agricultural uh, commodity risk management. They're absolutely designed for farmers. And we always say, if you, if, you, if, you have, if you don't have a futures account, Mr. Farmer, you're going into battle with one arm time behind your back. Yeah. So, I mean, we would never push people into futures without understanding them. Uh, we have to have a good uh, or a decent understanding of futures before you start playing around with them, clearly. <laughs> uh, it's something that is growing uh, in, uh, in um, uh, uh, you know, people want to people want to look at marketing a lot more seriously now, especially when we have these odd years like we're having uh, in 2020, uh, with a view to, to um, not only managing risk, but taking advantage uh, when an opportunity arises using futures. Okay, great. Thanks, Rupert. That's some good advice there. Uh, It's my pleasure, Alice. Anytime you need. And last, but by no means least, we've got Ken Black from Bayer's pest control team who is going to talk us through things we need to be thinking about right now, ready for harvest. Hi, Alice. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. You? Yeah, good, thank you. Now, a lot of growers will probably be relieved once this harvest is over just to see the back of 2020 in general. I know that I will. And we heard um, from Peter earlier who said that due to a smaller crop this year in the UK, grain is likely to be kept in the shed for longer. And obviously, growers will want to maintain the quality of that grain. And Ken, you're saying one thing that's really important in maintaining good grain quality is storage. And that starts now, really. So why is prepping your grain store ahead of harvest so important? I mean, it, it, it is important. It, it's often um, the area that's left to the last minute or forgotten about. It's not the nicest job on, on the farm, uh, prepping the grain store, but it's critical. It's the, it's the end of the process of, of growing the crop in the field, nurturing it through the growing season, and then getting to the end where you, you, you harvest your, your, your crop it's easy to forget about grain kind of once you've it's been through the combine it's in the shed you can breathe a sigh of relief if you could give our listeners five top tips on how to get their grain store ready for harvest what would they be it's really this this part of the process is, is essentially the easy part there's no rocket science behind this at all it's the cleaner the environment that you can put your grain or your, your harvested crop into Really, if insects have got somewhere to live and harborage 
ground floors, any cavities, the wind or the fan tunnels, elevators and conveyors are also an area that are often forgotten about or, or not thought about. They can harbour um, insects in, in the dust and debris that are in there. So again, once you've got it to as clean a, a situation as you possibly can, some people just do a sweep out, other people use leaf blowers to give it a, a thorough blowdown. Think about using sticky traps. There's monitor traps out there which are available from you, your agchem supplier, your agronomist will be able to source them for you. And place those around the store at ground level, floor level, but also on any log ledges, um, uh, any tops of walls, and just monitor um, for insects and insect activity. And the earlier you can do this, ahead of harvest, the better, because it gives you more time to, to produce a clean environment monitor for any insect activity and then if there is activity there or any signs of insect you can then choose how you're going to treat it. There's insecticides on the market, there's smokes on the market, you know both of those products can be used to ensure that you, you control in any insect that is still left in the store and the longer you can or the earlier you can do it the more chance you have of that residual effect of that Yeah, and as you say, it's not rocket science, it's just one of these simple steps that growers can take that could ultimately make quite a big difference. Thanks, Ken. Now, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for today. Basis members, if you would like to receive a CPD point for tuning in, all you have to do is email your Basis account number, which you'll find on your ID card or certificate, to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk and quote the name of this podcast. Next time, we are going to be looking at the wonderful world of biostimulants, solution or snake oil, I'll let you be the judge. But we've got Tim Parton on the show, who won Arable Innovator of the Year last year at the British Farming Awards. And he is going to be discussing the success he's had with biologicals. While we're on the topic of the British Farming Awards, they will still be going ahead this year. They're going to be broadcast live in a new virtual format. Details are going to be announced over the coming weeks, but you've still got plenty of time to enter. And what better time to celebrate farming than during this pandemic? and this newfound appreciation for farmers we're seeing from consumers. So on that note, I look forward to you joining me next time. Keep farming and keep safe.